Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host, Hayden Grove, joined by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Chris Fedor. And this week's podcast is a difficult one, for sure. Um, a little bit different than a lot of our podcasts where we're talking about, you know, basketball. We're talking about the the good, the fun, the 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 sports side of it. Um, this week we are talking about a, a heartbreaking tragedy. Um, Nick Gilbert, the son of Cavaliers owner Dan Gilbert, uh, passed away at the age of 26 um, after dealing with, you know, his lifelong neurological condition. The Cavaliers are certainly, um, they've sent their prayers up, they've sent their um, their statement out, and they are encouraging fans to um, help to donate to the cause, which I'm going to get to in a second. But Chris, I want to, but first, um, just first, I want to offer my own prayers and my own thoughts, my own condolences to the to Gilbert family who I you know I can't even imagine how difficult um, things are for them right now um, and I just I, I want to hear your thoughts and and you know any memories you may have of Nick and uh, and what he meant to this Cavaliers organization yeah but I think the one that stands out obviously Hayden is the um the draft lottery that's where he became um uh, a notable figure in the Cavs organization with the whole quote, what's not to like, um, obviously the bow ties. And if you think about it, part of this year was dedicated to Nick. Um, the Cavs were wearing these warm up shirts that had bow ties on them. Um, everybody inside the organization that was wearing those half zip quarter zip pull up type things. Um, those had bow ties on them as well. So, um, a big part of this season and the success that the Cavs had this season was dedicated to Nick. It was from the very, very beginning. And I think it just kind of like shows when it comes to basketball, when it comes to sports, it's a family. You spend so much time with these people. You get to know them so well on a personal level, on a deep level. And the Cavs lost a family member um, with the passing of Nick Gilbert. And obviously it's it's a tragic loss. Um can't imagine what Dan Gilbert is feeling right now. I can't imagine what other people inside the organization are feeling right now either. Um, I don't know how it's it's going to be for Dan to move past this. Um, and it's just a, a very, very sad situation um, given how much Nick loved the Cavs, given how much he was a face of the draft lotteries, and given how much... You know, his presence was there inside Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse um, for many of the LeBron years, sitting courtside and watching the team and sitting in a suite and watching the team. And um, just his love for Cleveland, his love for the sports teams in the town. Um, it's it's a tough loss for the organization as a whole. Yeah, it certainly is. It's 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 heartbreaking. And I, I do want to I do want to point out um, specifically the the foundations and things that the Cavaliers are encouraging um, to try to fight uh, this disease. So the disease is called neurofibromatosis, um, and NF1 is how it's kind of referred to. Um, it's a genetic disorder that causes tumors to form on nerve tissue, and um, it, the complications from that uh, disease led to Nick's passing. Um, the Cavaliers you know, are encouraging a lot of donations to be made to try to um, find a cure for neurofibromatosis. Um, the specific link, which we will put in the story, uh, but the specific link that they want to uh, to promote is nfforwarddetroit.org slash donate. So nfforwarddetroit.org slash donate. So um, 
that is what they're looking for in terms of NF and, uh, and trying to um, not only bring awareness to the disease, but also, you know, try to find even more importantly, a cure uh, for neurofibromatosis. Um, Cavaliers obviously issued statements. And yeah, we remember, you know, a decade ago that um, Nick Gilbert was, uh, was becoming the representative for the Cavs in the NBA draft. And he was really, I mean, if you want to get into the, the actualities of the, of the NBA draft lottery, I mean, Nick, for better, for not for better, for worse, for more or less started kind of the revival of the organization. Um, you know, <laughs> when, when, with his luck, with the, the ping pong balls going his way and with his um, kind of being the, uh, the face of the franchise at that point before they had a Kyrie Irving and before they had guys like LeBron and Tristan Thompson. I mean, he really did signal kind of a new era of, uh, of Cavaliers basketball. And I think it was like, like a little bit too, like of the draft lottery of like outward celebrations, you know? Yeah. Like right. it's, it's funny because um, I remember Zach Lowe from ESPN wrote the story about that draft lottery win and some of the other draft lottery wins after that. And it's like, I don't know. In some ways, the draft lottery was this buttoned up thing where you do these golf claps or you do these private fist pumps, but you don't just like have that outward reaction. You know what I mean? And then the year that the Cavs won it when nobody expected them to um, in the aftermath of LeBron James leaving for Miami and the franchise like needed some kind of um, good thing to go its way. Like there was this huge celebration. People were like caught off guard at the draft lottery. Like, who are these people that are here from the Cleveland contingent? Like, why are there radio people here? Why are there like franchise legends from the Cleveland Browns here of Bernie Kosar? Like, why are these people here with all these bow ties on representing the Cavs? You know what I mean? And like, they just made this like for for better or worse, like the Cavs during the post LeBron era made the lottery like their big party where they just had these celebrations that were just not what people were used to seeing at the draft lottery. And I think since then you, you kind of see that carry over with like more outward excitement when the, when the picks are revealed. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's that he put a smile and he put a life and an energy into that, which is incredible. Um, and he, again, he brought, a lot of joy to the franchise and a lot of joy to the people of Northeast Ohio. And um, he was a, certainly a face of the organization in, in some way, shape or form there for a little bit. And, uh, and the bow tie will always kind of, you know, significant signify his, uh, what yep. he means to the organization. And I think it'll always be a part of the Cavaliers um, going forward. So, well, again, I'd like to offer my condolences to the Gilbert family, um, just a horrific tragedy and uh, his legacy and his uh, impact will still be felt throughout the Cavs organization. So, we want to pay tribute to him. We want to take a little bit of a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about Cavaliers basketball going into the 2023-2024 season. Be right back. All right, we are back with Chris Fedor, a Cavaliers beat reporter at Cleveland.com. And we are talking Cavaliers as we go into the offseason. And Chris, there's a lot to be done with this Cavaliers team going into next season. Um, where does it start? Where does it start? As the playoffs go and or come to a close eventually, and um, and these things kind of start to wind down as the NBA Finals goes on in the, in June, um, where where do the Cavaliers go from where they are right now? Well, hey, now I think it starts here. I think um, I think the series 
between the Heat and the Knicks and understanding that when it comes to the playoffs, it's about matchups, it's about personnel, it's about exploiting weaknesses um, and highlighting your strengths. Um, it's about a bunch of different things uh, that, that are uncontrollable in some aspects, right? Like just because the Heat are having success one way against the Knicks or certain ways against the Knicks doesn't mean that the Cavs were set up to have that same kind of success. And I think everybody has to understand that. In saying that, um, I think the Cavs losing to what looks like a flawed Knicks team, the way that they did, is really bad in their eyes. And I think it's even worse in their eyes seeing the way that Miami has picked apart New York in a way that the Cavs couldn't, in a way that the Cavs didn't. So I think in some ways what is happening right now in the Eastern Conference semifinals to New York by Miami is making the Cavs say, oh, we blew one. This was our shot, and we completely blew it. And and look, going into the series against the Knicks, there were a lot of people inside the organization. Ricky Rubio said it. Danny Green said it. A couple of players said it behind the scenes, not on record the way that Ricky and Danny did. Um, but there were people inside the organization, a number of people inside the organization, that believed that the Cavs were the better team than New York. And when you feel like you're the better team and you go on to lose, that has to raise a little bit of an alarm about why. If we are the better team, if we were more talented, if those things are true, and I'm not saying that they are, but I'm saying that's what the Cavs believed internally. So if those things are true, then why'd you lose, right? And I think the way that the Knicks are playing in this series um, – showing the flaws that the Cavs believed that they had is in some ways eye-opening to the Cavs and making them do a deeper dive, a more painful dive into the why of the whole New York series that goes beyond the things, the qualifiers that were basically attached to why they also lost the series. Like they didn't just lose the series against the Knicks because they didn't have an experience or because they were rattled at MSG or because Donovan Mitchell didn't play at a star level. Like, there are other things contributing to that loss against the Knicks, and I think in some ways seeing Miami's dominance over New York so far in this series is a little bit more eye-opening to the Cavs than maybe the feeling immediately after that loss in the series. So the obvious things, Chris, are the things that we mentioned, the rebounding, the experience, the toughness, yeah. all that. The what are some, weak bench. Right. What are what are some of the other things that maybe you're talking about in terms of the eye-opening things that they're seeing right now? I think it shows, and, and I'm not saying that they're going to make changes, but I think it shows that like there is a specific type of personnel for a seven-game series um, against certain teams if you want to be more competitive. And I think it also shows... like the kind of chess match type adjustments that J.B. Bickerstaff was not able to make that Eric Spolstra has made in his series for Miami against New York. Um, I think those things stand out to me um, as, as, as things that the Cavs look at now moving forward and say, how can we get better in those particular areas? Like they knew going into the series or coming out of the series even against New York, that they didn't have enough floor spacing and enough shooting. 
but seeing a team that has that kind of floor spacing and that kind of shooting and seeing how it's worked to like neutralize Mitchell Robinson, um, to pull some of the New York defenders out of the paint. Like those kinds of things I think are going to be even more of a priority for the Cavs moving forward. And I think in-game adjustments for J.B. Bickerstaff and schematic things along those lines, I think are going to be talked about within the organization a little bit more as well. So do you think it's more of a front office thing to where Kobe's going to have to find players that fit a certain mold? Or is it a J.B. Bickerstaff thing to where he's going to have to maybe, you know, poach a little differently in, in terms of in-game adjustments? I think it's a little bit of both, Hayden, to be perfectly honest with you. I think even the front office knew throughout the course of this year, because here's the thing. The guys that work in the Cavs front office are not dumb. You know, they watch this team as closer than anybody. Um, they have all of the stats that sometimes the general fan does not have access to. And they know the flaws. And they could see that this was a flawed roster from a depth perspective, from a shooting perspective, and from a two-way wing perspective. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they knew of this flaw because they tried to address it in free agency and came up short. And they tried to address it at the trade deadline and they came up short. So if we have talked all season long about a lot of these issues, right? And if we talked about the same issues going into the series against New York, and we're still talking about those issues going into this offseason, they're aware of them. They just have to go out and fix them. Um, right. And that's easier said than done, because the thing that they need most is the thing that's coveted most in the NBA and the hardest thing to come by. And they don't have a ton of assets to go out and address that problem this offseason. But I do think it's a little bit of both. Like, I do think there were things that JB could have done better in the series against the, the Knicks. And I also think that at some point, like, demanding a coach to find some kind of solution in a pool of bad options is just unrealistic. Like, his solution was supposed to be Lamar Stevens. Like, his solution was supposed to be Jetty Osman. His solution was supposed to be Dean Wade. At some point, when you're talking about some of the flaws that the Cavs showed in that series against the Knicks, that the Knicks exposed, like, at some point, you have to be honest about the fact that JB just didn't have solutions internally. And I think the Cavs recognize that. I think the front office, the decision makers in the organization, I think they recognize that. Yeah, and I, I certainly recognize that. And I think that's obviously on the front office to give him more options. Um, and it does lead into a question. And, you know, I, I think that there are, there's a lot of chatter on social media because, you know, Kevin was a very beloved player in Cleveland um, about, you know, the decision that went down with Kevin Love. Um, to, you know, to, to let him or to buy him out and to let him go to another uh, team that just so happens to continue to be playing in the playoffs and beating this New York Knicks team. So Kevin won, Kevin won that kind of, I guess you could say in terms of the fact that he's still playing and the Cavaliers obviously didn't very, very, very well against New York. But I think the thing that I would say is that I don't know if Kevin Love changes the outcome of that series. I, I don't think actually he changes much at all, but it, it would have given JB Bickerstaff another option 
And, you know, maybe they could have handled it a little differently, but how differently could you have handled it? Well, I don't know, to be perfectly honest with you. That's the question that I continue to ask. Look, the optics are bad right now. And I, I, I asked Kobe Altman the question for a reason. You know what I mean? Like yeah. at his end of season press conference, I said to Kobe, I said, look, you just spent a lot of time talking about the things that showed up in that Knicks series, the things that were working against you in that Knicks series. You weren't physical enough. You got pounded on the boards. You didn't have enough shooting. You didn't have enough spacing. You talked about the inexperience on the roster. Um, there was a guy that you had in Kevin Love that theoretically could have provided some of those things. Um, do you have any regrets about your decision to move on from him and buy him out? And, and Kobe said, you know, when you lose a playoff series, you can go down all these different rabbit holes and you can start looking for reasons as to why. And he said it was the best thing for Kevin and it was the best thing for the organization and all that kind of stuff. But the optics don't look great. When Kevin's out there spacing the floor, knocking down threes, and keeping Mitchell Robinson off the offensive glass in a way that the Cavs simply could not. He also plays next to Bam Adebayo, who's a little bit different than Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. He also is playing for Eric Spolstra, who is very, very different than J.B. Bickerstaff. He's also playing next to Jimmy Butler, who is a little bit different than the personnel that the Cavs have. So how Kevin is being used by the Heat is not necessarily how he would be used used by the Cavs, both in terms of his minutes played and in terms of the role and just stylistically, offensively and defensively. But again, the optics are really, really bad, especially when one of the guys that the Cavs put their support behind after the buyout of Kevin was Dean Wade, who fell on his face against New York and was unplayable against the Knicks. So I understand why people are looking at it that way. The Cavs didn't lose the series against the Knicks simply because uh, Kevin was bought out. And Miami is not winning the series against the Knicks simply because they have Kevin Love. But he has been a part of their success. And I think it's something um, that people are going to continue to talk about, especially when um, the team that the Cavs lost to specifically is the team that Kevin's new team is specifically beating, and you start thinking about those what-ifs. But I would ask you the question that you asked me. Like, if you're somebody that is looking at it saying, okay, like Kevin would have helped, what could they have done better to make it something so that Kevin was here helping the Cavs as opposed to Miami? Because here's the thing, like, the Cavs are not in the business, Hayden, of helping another team in the Eastern Conference get to maybe the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, that's not ultimately what they wanted. That could end up being the end result. But they had to think some way for them to go down that path, right? Yeah. So my here's my thought, and you can you can tell me or what you think about this. My thought is that, you know, they traded him with, what, 30 games left in the regular season, something like that, somewhere around there. Right? They yeah, bought him out. sorry, sorry, brought, sorry. Yes, bought him out. Sorry, he, yeah, they did not trade him. Correct. Um, they bought him out. So they got. So he was. He was to Miami. About thirty games left in the regular season. Still, the, the thumb was still kind of hampering him and and whatnot. Maybe Kevin wouldn't agree to this. Maybe he would have. I don't know. 
maybe just a little bit lesser of a role and still got him some playing time and let him kind of just, you know, continue to get better and better, feel better and better until he ramp it up to the postseason. Maybe give him some time off from that thumb and try to give him an opportunity to, you know, to, to fully heal and then bring him back and kind of ease him into it. So you had him as an option. Or like you said, like I said, maybe Kevin wouldn't have really loved that and still would have asked to be bought out anyway. So, you know, the hindsight is, is it's different. It's difficult, but uh, that's kind of the only thing that I can think of in regards to, uh, in regards to, you know, what could have potentially happened with Kevin Love. Okay. So play your scenario up. This is a future Hall of Famer. Yep. This is a Cavs franchise legend. And yep. this is somebody who would be pulled out of the rotation. And he was pulled out of the rotation because he was terrible. Yeah. He was one of the league's worst players at any position at the time that he was benched. Yep. For those first 50 games, he couldn't consistently make a shot. He was getting blown by defensively repeatedly. And yep. the Cavs looked at it saying, we can't continue to play this guy. We've got to see if some of these other options that we have on our roster are going to be better, can be better. And in some cases, some of the guys that they were playing over Kevin were better. They were playing better. The team was performing better with those guys on the court as opposed to him. So it's not like they just had a couple of bad games with Kevin and they were like, you know what? We got to move on from this. It was games, basically, where they're just like, no, uh -uh. you're not shooting the ball well. You're a terrible defender. All these different things. Right. So... So play that scenario out, knowing Kevin the way that you do, knowing how emotional Kevin is, and knowing what he's done in the past when things haven't entirely gone the way that he's wanted them to go. How does that yeah. scenario play out? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. That, that's, that's No, you quick. don't know the answer to it. You absolutely know the answer to it. And you just don't want to say it. Well, that he and, and I be, get it. He would still be wanting to be bought out. Of course, he yeah. would be throwing a fit behind the scenes and it could potentially wreck the chemistry of the team. And chemistry was a very, very key point to the organization at the time that they made that decision. I just don't think there was a kumbaya option out there that was going to satisfy Kevin, satisfy the Cavs, give the Cavs ultimately what they thought they needed at that time that they made that decision and give Kevin ultimately what he thought he deserved at that time that they made that decision. No, so and I don't, I don't, you're, you're, you're right in that. I don't think the Cavs did wrong by Kevin and they, in, in that regard, in terms of like, I think they, they were, you're right. They were trying to do best by him, giving him an opportunity um, to, you know, to go somewhere else and play. And I think, you know, it ended up that he kind of quote unquote won that deal because he got to play and he's now playing for potentially an Eastern conference finals. Um, but yeah, I mean, I get, I get it. I do. I guess the answer Here's the is other thing. Yeah. Here's the other thing. Had he been in Miami and played the way that he did for the first 50 games, the way that he played for the Cavs, you think Spolstra sticks with him? No, no, I don't. I right. don't. But I bet you're right. also banking. So he got a fresh start in Miami. Yeah. And, yeah. and the bad things that he showed on the court during his time with the Cavs, he didn't show in Miami. So the version that Miami has gotten of Kevin Love is very different than the version that the Cavs had at the beginning of the season. The ver 
version that the Cavs chose to bench. And I just don't think we can lose sight of that simply because the results are Kevin's playing well for the Heat right now. Yeah, but then, but also my counterargument would be he was the he was almost six man of the year last year, and he yeah, it was bad. He had the thumb. Like I guess my point is that like you're just banking on him being that bad for the rest of the year when you know what he can bring you. Like you're you're they, what they what I think that they thought was well he's not going to improve. He's not going to get any better. So we're just going to go with Dean Wade, which is. Okay, it's a decision, and it obviously wasn't necessarily the right decision. But you, but you know, you act like this was three years removed from a guy that last year was a huge part of your you know rotation, a huge part of your team. And yeah, I'm I'm just saying, did, maybe I'm wrong, but maybe the way that he played last year, maybe the way that he's played throughout his career, probably should earn him a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt than the way he was playing you know, with the bad thumb, with, you know, whatever. And they were winning games. It wasn't like he was costing them games. So again, I hear you. I know exactly, you're exactly right that it wouldn't have really gone over well, but I guess I just thought that maybe that Kevin deserved a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt in terms of, um, in terms of, you know, him potentially improving and showing that he's not the, that he is the player in Miami as opposed to the player in Cleveland. So here's the other thing. We're looking at Kevin now. And he's playing the way that he is for Miami, in part because of how he's being used, in part because of the minutes that he's playing, but in part because Miami desperately needed somebody like him. Yeah, I mean, be- that's true. Before Kevin got there, what were they doing at the power forward spot? Like, that was a problem yeah. area for them, right? Yes, Jay Crowder's yeah. gone. P.J. Tucker gone. So they were trying to find somebody to fill that particular void. Right. And it made sense. Like, if there was any team that was going to go out and had a desperate need for a player like Kevin, it was the Heat. Yep. But with the Cavs, two of their four most important players occupy minutes at the position that he theoretically plays. Yeah. The power forward spot and the center spot, right? And your power forward is Evan Mobley, who is maybe the most important player to your organization moving forward, who you knew... Going into any postseason series, whether it be against the Knicks or, or if it was going to be against the Bucks or any team, Evan was going to play close to 40 minutes a night. Yeah. And if you're the Cavs and you're looking at it saying, well, Evan's going to play 40 minutes a night. Jared Allen's probably going to play 40 minutes a night. And we don't think Kevin can be a backup center um, because that puts a lot of stress on him defensively with our specific defensive scheme. So the only place for him to get minutes is behind Evan Mobley at the power forward spot for like five to eight minutes in a playoff game against the Knicks. Yeah. How do you think that goes over with Kevin? Yeah, not really well, no. And I also, and here's the thing too, I don't think anybody envisioned Jared Allen being as bad as he was. I mean, no, that's, yeah, yeah, that's true too. hundred percent true. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Hindsight's hindsight's yeah. Very different. Go ahead. So playing Kevin Love for the Cavs meant going away from Evan Mobley in a series against the Knicks when Evan, even though he was struggling offensively um, when it came to finishing his shots, and even though he was getting, um, let's say, out-muscled by some of the Knicks' front-line guys, like they were still a better team with Evan Mobley on the floor. Throughout the course of that series... They were still a better team with Evan Mobley on the floor. He was the leading rebounder in the five-game series against the Knicks. And 
in some ways, the Cavs wanted um, his defense against Julius Randle. So playing Kevin theoretically for the Cavs in a series against the Knicks would have meant taking Evan Mobley off the floor, which is something that it did not seem like they wanted to do all that much. And I don't blame them for that, no, given the way that they either. played defensively. No. Yeah, no, I don't blame them. I don't blame them. Yeah, it's just, you know, it is one of those things that just, it's bad. It's optically bad, and it's... it's it is optically it's, it's, bad. Yeah, You're absolutely yeah. right about that. It's optically bad, and it's, you know, it's unfortunate that it kind of happened for Cleveland the way that it did. But, um, you know... It's even worse. It's even worse when the, 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 the best things of Kevin, the best things about him, were the things that the Cavs missed most in that yep. series against New York. Yep. Yep. Well, again, you can't take anything back. It happened the way it happened. And we'll see again. There's no, I mean, there, yes, they're the Knicks are down three, one, but there's no guarantee that Miami closes it out, even though I think that they might, but there are other reasons. That they, yeah. And again, we mentioned it. There are other reasons the heater winning. It's not, you know, Kevin Love is not paying, playing a giant role in that, but you're right. It would have been nice to have. Um, so again, there, there's plenty of more off season to come plenty um of more moves to be made and yeah. uh, well i guess we'll just have to watch kevin going forward <laughs> i think i think cleveland's probably rooting for him like you know against the knicks and whoever who will maybe they'll play either boston or philly so yeah i would venture i would venture to guess cleveland's probably rooting for him <laughs> okay i mean what do you i don't know am i wrong the city of cleveland no the organization people his teammates i don't know yeah, I, uh, I think, um, huh, how can I answer this? I think no. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, I think, I think they're happy for Kevin's success. Um, and I think they recognize the things that he accomplished in this organization. Do I think they're rooting for him? I do not. Okay. That's fair. That's, I mean, you would, you would probably know better than me or you would know better than me. So I guess maybe, okay. So then what about the city of Cleveland? Yes. Okay. I think the city of Cleveland is, is rooting hard for Kevin and love um, in part because they like things that reflect poorly on their organization. <laughs> oh, geez. Oh no. I mean, it's true, right? <laughs> yes. Oh God. I don't think that's the case. Without no. No. Yes. You you think that Cleveland likes things that reflect poorly on the Cavaliers? At this point, yes. I think there is so much anger towards JV Bickerstaff. I think there's so much anger towards Kobe Altman. I think there's so much anger towards the Cavs in, as an organization. And I think there are so many people that want things to change and be different moving forward that they think Kevin having success for Miami is a bad reflection on the Cavs and could lead to some of the changes that they want. I absolutely okay. believe there's okay. a. I, I, think I absolutely I, believe there's a segment of fans in this town that sure. are thinking about it that sure. way. Sure, and I and I think that's silly. I, I I don't think again. I I think that for me, I don't think that that doing that anything involving Kevin Love reflects poorly on the Cavs. I think it was just a little, in my opinion, just a little short sighted. But I get both sides of it. I do. I see both sides of it. The only thing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say it was a bad move because, like you said, yes, it's probably good for Kevin and for the chemistry and everything. 
But I do see that section of fans. Obviously, I, 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 I am able to see it plenty through our social media channels, and I get that. But I don't think it reflects poorly on the Cavs. I think they made a decision that they thought was going to be the best for the organization. Um, and, yeah, I wouldn't say that it, it reflects poorly. So I think if you're a real Cleveland fan and you're a real Cavs fan and you love the organization, you wouldn't want your organization to look bad ever. But you're mm-hmm. right. In, but you're right in that, you know, in that, Sometimes your organization does need to look bad if you want changes to be made. But I don't think I don't think there need to be massive changes. I think there need to be some, you know, big additions, but I don't think there need to be huge sweeping changes to the organization. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Um I, I don't think that this roster is fundamentally broken. No. I don't think this core is one that cannot function together consistently. Um I think at the end of the day, like there are weaknesses that this roster has, and we've touched on a lot of them. Um, they need more experience. They need more physicality. They meet, need more floor spacing. They need more shooting. They need more two-way options as opposed to one-way options. Like all of those things are true. And I think all of those things can be true without saying, okay, let's break up everything that led to us winning 51 games, um, being second in the NBA in net rating, um, being top 10 in offense and defense during the regular season, being the four seed in the Eastern Conference. I think there's enough evidence that points to a lot of things within this organization are working well, and the Cavs as an organization as a whole, are in a good place, but they also need um, to patch some obvious holes that they have on this roster to take the next step. And J.B. Bickerstaff needs to do things better as a head coach for them to take the next step. Well, throughout the offseason, we will definitely keep an eye on those changes that potentially will be made. Uh, nothing yeah. we can do at the moment, though. We can just sit back and enjoy the playoffs, and I'm sure we'll get into the playoffs at some point um, on a podcast in the near future, but there is a lot to discuss today. I um, appreciate you joining us, Chris, and uh, thank you, everyone, for sticking with us, regardless of, or because, you know, with the, the hotspot issue. Hopefully, we edited, or I was able to edit all the bad stuff out in terms of the, you know, the breaks and whatnot, but again, appreciate you joining us. Uh, definitely check out Chris's subtext, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. Go to cleveland.com slash Cavs. Click the blue banner at the top of the page and get all of Chris's news, insight, analysis, and straight to your phone um, as this offseason continues. And uh, Chris, continue to enjoy, to enjoy time with your family. Enjoy this weather that seems to be improving every day, which I appreciate. And then uh, enjoy <laughs> the playoff basketball. It's been a lot of fun. Can we, um, can we make a promise? What's the promise? In the, in the next podcast, we don't talk about Kevin Love, who's yes. no longer here. And yeah, we focus yeah. on like the ways and the players that could be available to the Cavs in the offseason to actually just, improve their roster. Yes, yes. I, we, can make that, <laughs> we, we can make that promise for two reasons. Okay. We can make that promise for two reasons. One, we just had to have the conversation. It just yes. had to get out of the right. way. Yeah, I guess. And, and two, you're right. He's not with the organization anymore. It's time to focus on guys that can potentially help. But the problem is, though, Chris, is that, you know, yes, we know who might be available, but the playoffs still won't be over. So we won't talk about Kevin Love, but it's going to be a little hard to discuss, you know, who comes in. Okay, that's fair. Okay. But now so we, we got were, that out of the way. We got it out of the way. It's out of the way. It's out of the way. 
it needed to happen. And my social media, my Twitter is yours as well, probably. I mean, that's what it's all been for the last every time that he play. And I have I have helped because I've you know I I've, I've mentioned it, but it, it is optical. It's not you know really practical in regard. So, anyways, yeah, we're done with it. It's over. It's all over. Right. All right. All right. Thank you everyone for joining us. Appreciate you. Next time we will focus on more about how the Cavaliers can improve going into the 2023, 24 season. And uh, again, my heart goes out to the Gilbert family and I know Chris feels the same. So um, thank you everyone for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.